Luke chapter 24. Actually, we're going to pick up two verses prior to that. So the last two verses in Luke 23, but we will get to the first 12 verses of Luke 24. Now, Father, as we prepare our hearts, we lay them before you. May the Holy Spirit touch us and make us able to understand truths which are only discerned spiritually. We must have your help to understand what the word of God means to us. So have your way in our hearts through your living word. Speak to us and we will obey. In Christ's name, amen. As most of you know, I'm a cancer survivor. It was this time exactly, really, 10 years ago when I was diagnosed with stage 2 Hodgkin's lymphoma. Hodgkin's is a blood cancer that normally responds quite well to either chemotherapy or radiation. Though I had both treatments... I failed to go into remission, and as I've mentioned on a number of occasions, the treatment that ultimately effected a cure by the good graces of our God was a bone marrow transplant stem cell rescue. A bone marrow transplant is a grueling procedure that can kill you. It takes several months, your own blood marrow is completely destroyed, and new marrow from either a donor who matches you like a sibling, or if the cancer is not in your own marrow, they can spin out your own stem cells, treat them, and give you back your own marrow, which is the case that, which was my case. That's called an autogalous bone marrow transplant. And that's what I had. They reintroduce your own stem cells. They are transplanted. And then it's a wait-and-see game. If the graft takes, well, you're back in the game. And if it does not, there's really nothing more they can do. Now, those days of treatment, very dark and dismal. Months of treatment and confinement there at UCSF. After the transplant happens, you just wait and see. The average time to respond to your grafted transplant is nine days. So each morning, your blood is drawn after your transplant, and you wait and see. You're at zero. You need to see a count on the positive side. Day one, zero. Day two, zero. Day three, zero. Day four, zero. Day five, six, seven, eight, nine, zero. Ten, eleven, twelve, zero. I was waiting. A little on the anxious side. <laughs> Day 13, the doctor came in. We've got a number. Day 14, it's doubled. Day 15, let's set a date for your release from the hospital. Not out of the woods yet, but they're multiplying. Your bone marrow transplant has grafted. 
And so, everything changed in a moment, one day. The day before, total zero, total darkness, total despair and gloom. And in one moment, one smile, one sign that says, you know, there's a little bit of sunshine gleaming through. That was a wonderful experience. And, and I walked out of that hospital in 2001 of May, uh, cancer-free, and I've been so ever since, nine years ago. Now, it's hard, really, to describe the joy and the optimism. It's life and death. It's not like, you know, getting a new car or getting a promotion or having a baby even. It's like nothing like that. It's like you've seen the end of the road, and if this doesn't work, you don't live on the planet anymore. And then to suddenly be told, oh, maybe you will be living here. It is so profound. Now, Passion Week. Several weeks we've been studying the last week of Jesus' life and actually the moments on the cross. And um, filled quite with despair and darkness on a much grander and more profound scale than any of us can ever really realize. Can you imagine? It's so much more Grand because of, of the light that preceded it, the darkness thereof. Now, let me explain it this way. The disciples had found the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Do you remember the joy in Philip's voice when he found his brother Nathaniel and told them, we have found the one Moses wrote about 1,500 years ago. We found him, and all the prophets wrote about him in the law. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Well, Nathaniel was a little apprehensive, remember? And Jesus said, when he saw him coming, he said, now, now there's a real Jew, a true Jew. And Nathaniel said, uh, Rabbi, you, have we met? You know me? And Jesus said, oh, I, man, Nathaniel, I saw you before Philip even called you while you were under the fig tree. And he says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, my word, you believe so quickly. You're going to see way cooler things than that. And way cooler things did they ever. He opened blind eyes, deaf ears, mute tongues were singing God's praise. Crazy, demonized people were set free and sitting on the front row of the synagogue, clothed and in their right mind. Paralyzed folks were dancing, and dead people, as I like to say, were coming back to life to attend their own funerals. You know, it was crazy. They watched him walk on water, and when the storm got rough, he just spoke to it, and it obeyed. And they said, looking at each other, who is this guy? He can talk to a storm, and the storm obeys? Who is he? Well, they figured it out. He's the God-man. The miracles backed his claim that he was one with the Father. He says, when they asked to see a glimpse of the Father, he says, have I been with you so long still you don't recognize me? Whoever seen me, seen God the Father. He is God the Father, really, in the person of God the Son, Jesus Christ. He had set their hearts free. He changed so many people's lives. He rebuked those false, corrupt teachers. Everything was going so well. And at the pinnacle, arrested, bound, tormented, 
sentenced to die, crucified, and buried. Can any of us imagine what kind of despair the disciples were under that Friday? But three days later, everything changed. The gloom and the doom had to give way to life-jolting joy and hope and excitement that would know no bounds. And I wish I could say that the disciples were gathered together every day waiting and looking and being anxious and hopeful for some sign that the transplant had taken, you know, that, that the Lord was going to do as he said and rise. But they did not. They did not believe it. They were just... They were not believing that those words were going to come to pass. This wonderful turn of events, the resurrection, which is the crux and foundation of the entire Christian religion, to take out the resurrection is to have no Christianity at all. This wonderful turn of events, though, took all his precious disciples by surprise. So let's take a closer look this morning. The context now, Jesus has breathed his last. He uh, has died upon the cross. The former secret believer, Joseph of Arimathea, has asked and received permission, along with Nicodemus, to take down the body, and he has just finished doing so. Verse 55 of chapter 23. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. But they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. We're going to talk about that. Chapter 24, verse 1. Now it's Sunday morning. The last verse, it was Friday evening. All right. On the first day of the week, Sunday, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? He said, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, to his credit, got up and ran to the tomb. And the other writers tell us John was on board for that as well. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. All right, that's going to conclude the portion of the scripture upon which we will reflect this morning. 
When we take a look at chapter 24, the last chapter of Luke, it kind of divides quite nicely into three uh, incidents. Sunday early morning, a few women at the tomb. That's what we'll consider. Next time, Sunday afternoon, a few guys on the road. Jesus meets them on the road to Emmaus. And then that evening, the 11 of them, minus Thomas, they're in the upper room and Jesus pays a visit. So that's the schedule of the next three Sundays. This Sunday, as I mentioned, it's the ladies. Now, the ladies will come off in a more favorable light than the men, though neither the women nor the men really expect the resurrection. But the ladies, as usual, outshine the guys. Now, I'd like to consider three admirable qualities of these Christian ladies whom God will honor in a way he has honored no one else. They have the highest honor of all. They are the first preachers of the gospel, these ladies. So we're going to take a look at them. Three things they did as we walk through the passage They honored God's word, they loved the Lord Jesus, and they shared the good news with others. So let's start with honoring God's word, and in turn, we will see God honor them. That's always the case, you know, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, those who honor me, I will honor. The converse is true of that, of course, but... Uh, it's good to realize that when we honor God, we are honored as well. And check these ladies out. He honors them. Number one, he names them. They're in verse 55. He tells us where they're from. These women had been following Jesus and supporting him in Galilee, where Jesus spent most of his ministry. Now, here's what Luke 8 says. I'll just refresh your memories. After this, Jesus was traveling about from one town to another, proclaiming the good news. The 12 were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. By the way, we always... uh, say a little bit more about Mary Magdalene than is in the scriptures. All we ever know about her is that she was demonized and we get a number of them, seven demons. That's all you know about Mary. Anything else you've heard about her is just conjecture. So Mary had seven demons cast out of her. And then there's um, Joanna, wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. Here's the sentence I'm gunning for right here. These women were helping to support them, the disciples and Jesus, out of their own means. So along with the 12, they're in Galilee, where this band of Patties and Barb's and Diana's and Jenny's and all of the other women who are notorious for serving. They followed and they supported the guys from their own resources. That's an amazing thing. Rabbis didn't even teach women back in those days. And Jesus was uh, letting them give and support and he's going to honor them. Now, what were they doing in Galilee? Well, that, you know, can you imagine? 
They were shopping. They were keeping them well fed and well clothed. You know, to have women who serve around in love with the Lord and his work, what a joy traveling from town to town and knowing that the women were there kind of caring for these 11 and 12 guys, 13 counting Jesus, but Jesus didn't need much care in that regard, though he did receive their support. So, you know, faithful in life, faithful in death, these women put the boys to shame. In the garden, when they come for Jesus, all the men scatter. Who's at the cross? These same women who were just named. They're the ones. They're named again, so we know it's them. They're standing near the cross. Past the danger, past the crazy crowds who are foaming at the mouth, crucify, crucify, past the guards, dangerous place, a scary place, an intimidating place. And they're there at the cross. They follow Joseph, who takes down the body now, to the tomb. They, they realize, now we know where he is. Let's go home and prepare for a last loving deed. And the ladies at the tomb on Sunday are the ladies at the cross on Friday. Now, don't miss something here. These women are only at the tomb on Sunday morning because they got interrupted on Friday afternoon. They're not looking for Jesus' resurrection, folks. They're looking for a dead body. The only reason they arrive when they arrive is because they got cut short on Friday afternoon. Let me explain. Number one, they follow Joseph to the tomb. Check. They go home to prepare spices and ointments and perfumes to assist Joseph and Nicodemus in completing what they started, preparing the body for the grave to embalm his body. But they run out of time. Friday afternoon, Jesus dies at 3. 4. Is he in the tomb by 4? 4.35? Joseph and Nick were ready. These ladies weren't ready. They run home. They know where the tomb is. They want to run back. Sunset, Sabbath, done. And the Bible says, look at what the Bible says. They went home to prepare spices. Now, listen for the affirmation. But they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the command. Do you hear the shout out? Oh, they wanted with all their heart to join Nicodemus and Joseph in preparing the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. The love of their lives, the hope of their their souls. But they realize we can't buy anymore. We can't work anymore. It's the Sabbath. We will honor God's word. And we will rest. And tomorrow we will go to synagogue. And we will read the scriptures. And we will fellowship with believers. And we will rest. We will not do what what we want to do. If ever there was an exception to the fourth commandment. Time sensitive. There's a body to be embalmed. But the Holy Spirit gives them a shout out. And says, but... They intended, they wanted to, but God's word and principle came first. 
They said, ladies, stop. Sundown. It's the Sabbath. Let's honor the Lord. And they were only doing what Jesus taught them to do. The Pharisees had turned the Sabbath into a legalistic nightmare. But Jesus taught and and exemplified somebody who loved to be in the Father's house on his special day. And to pray and to do good deeds. They loved the Sabbath because Jesus loved the Sabbath. And they honored God's word. And in turn, they will be honored. Now check these gals out. The fourth commandment. It would be the last Sabbath for the people of God before the coming of the Lord's day with resurrection. But instead of doing their own thing, like I just mentioned, they rested in a holy way. Now listen, in doing so, it puts them at the tomb Sunday morning. If they would have just done their own thing, ladies, It's the Lord Jesus' body. We can go. It's sunset. Let's go tomorrow morning, Saturday, or let's go tonight. Let's help them. We'll finish up, and God will be okay with that. If they would have done that and not honored God's special day, nobody would have been at the garden tomb on Sunday morning. No, not one. Where are the men? Clueless. Where are they? Sleeping and snoring logs. I mean, sawing logs. (laughs) The men don't even know where the tomb is. The only reason they're there is because they went to do it on Friday. They honored God's word and, and, and kept the Sabbath day. And the first possible moment... The first glimmer of light to continue now outside of Sabbath is Sunday morning. Boom. God says, thank you for honoring me. And when you honor me, I will honor you and I will put you right where you need to be. And right where you need to be is at the resurrection on Sunday morning. Just cutting corners with a forfeited such honor and grace to disregard the commandment of God to say, you know what? I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to, and in this case, it would have been pretty justified to us. But they said, no, sometimes, most times, all the time, it's God's word and his principles that come first. And so they're honored. Now, What about Christian New Testament application for us? Well, I've got a full-blown sermon. You can go online and get the sermons when when we talk about Sabbath. All right, but in a nutshell, let me explain to you that when Jesus rises on Sunday, the Jewish Sabbath is swallowed up and moved to what is called the Lord's Day. And in the scriptures, you find the early church never meeting on the Jewish Sabbath. You find the Jewish believers meeting on the Lord's Day in honor of the Lord's resurrection on Sunday. He will meet with them Sunday night. And then he will meet with them the following Sunday night. And from then on, it's the first day of the week. Saturday at the synagogue is obsolete. 
They can the only reason they would go there is to witness and share the gospel. They're not going to take their seats back on Saturday, sitting there listening to, oh, one day the Messiah will come. And they're sitting there, excuse us. He just came and fulfilled the whole Old Testament. There's a New Testament. There's a new covenant. There's literally a brand new day, quite literally. And that day is Sunday. Listen, so you see this correlation? God took six days to create the world, and he rested. Jesus is on the cross six hours, and he rests because he's recreated a new day, a new way, and that new day is commemorated on Sundays. Now, we find Christians always keeping this special day, but not everybody is excited about the special day because they think that grace undoes principles, but actually it only releases us from the law. Listen, folks. Commandment 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. They're all in force today. Every single one of them. Nobody can say, because we're under grace, it's okay to lie. Or have adultery or dishonor my father and mother. Or create a graven image. Or, or be an idolater. But for some reason, number four, which is now fulfilled in Jesus, that we come to Christ and we have eternal Sabbath rest. Yes, check. I understand that. But the principle, the principle of number four is, is that there is a special day of worship set aside for rest and reconnecting and restoring and honoring uh, God, restoring our own connection to God. How can we say that there's no abiding principle in commandment number four? Of course, we're not obligated to keep certain days, but there's a principle. The early church, the Lord's day, the Lord's day, the Lord's day. Meeting on the first day of the week, the first day of the week, the first day of the week. And the entire world of Christians has been structured around the Lord's day. I don't know, one billion of us are meeting this morning. Why? Why bother? I don't gotta to be a Christian. Please, folks, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We have a day. We have a special day. It's called the Lord's Day. You show me an on-fire Christian who has a low view of the Lord's Day. I have never met a person who I would say, wow, he or she is on-fire Christian. Where do you go to church? I don't go to church. Never happened. People who have a low view of Sunday morning church and justify it wrongly, through this twisted idea that grace covers everything and you're free to do and God doesn't have a special day anymore. Every day is special to him. Yeah, I know that part. But there's a Lord's day. There's a Lord's day. When you have a low deal for the Lord's day, which these women did not, you don't have a pastor. You don't have accountability. You don't hear the word of God preached. You don't worship God corporately. 
You don't have that fellowship. You are weak, vulnerable, and ineffective in your Christian life. Now, that said, I realize that there are a lot of churches out there that have made you not want to have a high priority of the Lord's day. When this guy is a bozo, when this guy goes off with his secretary, when this guy can't put three silly sentences together and make some sense that you leave and you're more confused afterwards. Yes, I understand that. When the worship team sings in bars every night of the week and don't even know the Lord. Yeah, I understand. And you walk in and everybody's gossiping and checking you out and looking at the kind of car you drive. Yeah, I know. Who wants to go to that church? But not all the churches are like that. You find a church. You come under the pastor and the pastoral team. You have a high regard for the principle of the Lord's day, as it's called in the New Testament. It's an important day. I don't have a big priority with the Lord's day. Tell that to somebody in heaven. And when you get there, an angel say, hey, what did you think of the Lord's day? Well, not much. Did a lot of shopping. All right. I've got a bad attitude. All right. Look, you tell. How, last, give me one more sentence. How can you love the Lord and disregard the Lord's day? I, I don't understand. I suppose afterwards, if you want to go out and convince me, you're going to lose. But... Number two, (laughs) they honor God's word, right? And number two now, they love the Lord Jesus. Your text says, on Sunday morning, the first gleam of dawn, paraphrased, the women take their spices and head for the tomb. They wonder who, uh, who will roll the stone away, Mark tells us, but when they arrive, it's already done. They love the Lord Jesus. And quickly, I just want you to see that they're responding and serving in quite a challenging way because of love, because they love him. Do you remember in Luke 8 when I read to you earlier? He had healed them and cured them of evil spirits, diseases. Do you remember that? What's behind their motivation for serving? He touched me. I want to say thank you. What motivated those ladies to get past, you know, the dark, the cold? It's early. It's intimidating. There's a big stone there. There are guards there. These ladies spring out of bed. What's behind that? What's behind that is he touched my heart. He set me free. He changed my life. It's the least I can do. Listen, friend, if you want to make Christian service fun, and filled with life and excitement, respond in love. Not a religious way of, i got to do this, and i got to do that, and i got to give my 10%. No, man, when God gets a hold of your life, it heals your marriage, heals your mind, gives you hope, and you realize the living God loves me, and he's, he's answering my prayers, he set me free. You start to respond, and his commandments, as, as the Bible says, are not burdensome. I, I, I don't see the hard things I've ever done for my wife as hard. 
because I love her and I love my kids. This is what's behind them getting up in the cold and facing their fears, walking to a tomb. And can you imagine how intimidating to t- the son of God's dead, battered body? They're going to go in in the dark and, and mess with it. I mean, in a good way. Can you, a little intimidating, but the love. He who has been forgiven much loves much. Many waters cannot drown love. Let the love that God has for you and you for him grow. It will motivate you to do great things for him. But not because you're afraid of going to hell but because you're in love with the Lord Jesus Christ who's touched your heart. There's the difference, I think, between the guys who ran and the women, women who pushed through. So when you love the Lord, he'll always point you in the right direction. Their hearts were filled with love, but their minds filled with confusion. Um, they don't know what's going on. They begin to wonder. The verb used for their wonder when they see there's no body there is aparero, which means perplexed or dazed or shocked and confused. But Jesus said this, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Listen, believer, whenever the, the lights go out and you love the Lord, God will show you the way. He will bring clarity. He will bring light just like that. Here's the paraphrase. While they're trying to figure out what's going on with the missing body, two men shining like lightning appear beside them. The women are terrified and bow. The angels say, why would you even be looking for the source of life in a cemetery for dead bodies? Hello? He's not here. Sorry. This is a paraphrase. (laughs) He's risen. Remember what he told you, ladies. He said, I'm going to be handed over, crucified then on day number three. Guess what, gals? It's day number three. And then they recalled what Jesus had said. Now, you may love the Lord, but you're not exempt from a gentle rebuke from time to time. Hebrews 12 says, whom the Lord loves, he corrects. So filled with love, and look, he has to correct them. Some heavenly common sense here. Incidentally, the angels, citizens of heaven, they shine. The word used for them, atropto, in the Greek, is the word for lightning. They have light. They shine. Like we used to. We used to shine before Genesis chapter 3. The Bible says that God wraps himself in light. We were born of God originally, and we were creatures of light. When we disconnected from the light, that's what it means to look and realize they were naked. The light went out, you see. But the light will be restored because Jesus says at the end, the righteous will go into eternal light and, quote, shine like the sun in the heavens. The light's going to come back for those of us who are linked to him. 
And so, yeah, they shine, they bring the light, and they say a gentle rebuke in the form of a silly question. Why would you be looking in a grave for the living Lord, especially when he told you that he would rise? Now, I love how God kind of tries to get our attention by asking us a common sense question. Why are you acting as if you never heard a word he said? That's really what they're saying. The answer is, well, we have very little faith and we're poor listeners. <laughs> That's the answer. Not, hey, we're the women. How about the guys? They didn't do any of that. They didn't make defenses. They received it. Proverbs 9, verse 8. Rebuke a wise person and they will love you. And then, Proverbs 12, 1. He who hates correction is stupid. Proverbs fifteen ten. He who hates correction will die. These ladies, you know, they weren't offended. And they didn't justify themselves. They took the word. Why are you acting like he didn't tell you anything? Why are you acting like a complete Gentile right now? You got the information? Where's your faith? Why would you even think the author of life could end up in a cemetery? Yeah, you can arrest God. Yes, you can crucify him. But you can't kill him. You can't kill God. Do you know in the Greek it says, when Jesus died, he dismissed his spirit. That's why nobody was allowed to break his legs to kill him. Because he dismissed his own spirit. Nobody killed the Lord. You can't kill God. God rendered his life. He poured it out. He's in control, you see. So here's the gentle rebuke. You know, it might as well be said something like this. Why, O woman of faith, are you looking for a husband in a person who's spiritually dead, who doesn't know the Lord, who, if Christ came back today, would be left behind? Just a question. Why would someone who has the life of Christ in them be drawn to somebody to be intimately drawn, to want to connect for life. Why would a person with Christ want somebody to connect to who doesn't have Christ? Just a question. That's the question at the tomb. Common sense. Why? Oh, man of God, why are you finding refuge in a bottle? Just a question. What are you looking for in there? Why, why would you do that? And he wants an answer. Why do you need to gratify yourself with an image on a screen? Oh, man of God who has the Holy Spirit and the power of self-control given you by heaven. Why would you defy yourself like that? Just a question. It's just, well, what are you doing? And he wants an answer. And they get it because they don't argue and they just receive it. When God sends you a messenger to correct you, be corrected and watch what happens. So last point, they honor God's word. God honors them. They love the Lord Jesus and the Lord leads them. For whom the Lord uh, loves, he leads and corrects. And finally, they share the good news. Here's the paraphrase and then we're done. The women take off in a mad dash from the tomb as they were told. John tells us, 
with great excitement, they laid the whole story out for the 11 guys and everyone who was there. But the men were skeptical. They sounded, the women did, hysterical to them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb to check it out for himself. He examined the strips of linen lying there and went away scratching his head trying to figure out what in the world was going on. Now, the men hear the words of these ladies, but they dismiss it as nonsense. The word in the Greek, leros, is a medical term Dr. Luke gives you. It's a word for being delirious with fever. You know when you have a high fever and you just start talking? The nonsense or babbling. Now, why do you think the guys dismissed those wonderful, godly women? Well, I've got a theory. (laughs) Number one, women speak twice as fast as men with five times the words for the same situation. That's just a fact. Number two, women can speak in groups with multiple speakers and make it all work. Fact number three, women can have three stories going on at one time with three different ladies and no one misses a thing. When we were first married... And we still do it. It's a big joke. Barb will come up to me, and she'll explode in language. In a good way. Nothing bad. She'll just give me a lot of information. All at once. Boom! There it is. And I just stand there with the dumbest look on my face. And then she does this, and she finds it hilarious. I don't. She says, Okay. Raw. How was your day? And I'm so thankful. It's like, I can answer that. With one word, good. Done. Oh my gosh. So income, eight women on ten. They've seen angels from heaven. The body's missing. The the lightning from their faces. Go tell those boys. Jesus isn't dead. The whole world needs to hear this. Go tell the boys. So you got eight women. All on ten. They all burst into the room. All eight of them. Boom. We heard every detail about the way to the tomb. The direction to the tomb. What kind of plants were on the way to the tomb. We heard about what the strips of linen, the texture, and the kind of linen. Uh, we had to hear everything I know. Uh, amen? Amen? Come on, you know. And the guys just roll their eyes. Uh, the guys just roll their eyes and go, of course you did. Could we have more sausage now? Honestly? That's exactly what happened. It says, ladies... You're hysterical. Stop. You know what they could have done? They could have done this. Big rock move. (laughs) Two shiny men. No Jesus body. Go check. 
all 11 would rise and we would all be there. Amen? Oh, I'm going to pay this afternoon. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> the worst part is when, like, we'll be driving, and she's talking, and, and, she'll, and she'll say, you're not listening to a word I just said. And I'll say, I am too. And she'll say, what did I just say? And I just start immediately praying, dear God, help me. <laughs> Just may the words of my mouth be read. <laughs> All right. Can we move on now? Well, we're almost done. You know what I took away from this? I took away the grand truth. Early Christians didn't invent the resurrection story because they had trouble believing it. They didn't make it up. They're witnessing at the cost of their own reputation. They all look like, I'm sorry, a bunch of dumbbells. They really do. Why would you do that? They are witnesses of the greatest event that ever happened. McLaren said it this way, one of the greatest evidences of the truthfulness of Scripture is the disciples' slowness to believe. Dr. John Scott Stott, rather, put it this way. Christianity is in its very essence resurrection. The concept of resurrection permeates everything about the Bible. New life, new creation, it's all about that. Take that away and you've got nothing. So, always remember the resurrection, but remember these women. When we honor God, he'll honor us. When we love the Lord Jesus, he will lead us to the light. When heaven has a corrective message for us, we welcome it, embrace it, and find life. And lastly, when God reveals truth of the gospel to us, we have an obligation to share it with others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your wonderful love and resurrection the hope of new life that we're already experiencing now as a deposit of the good things to come. Thank you, Father, that nobody who's received Christ in this room is the same person they were when they first received you. That resurrection power to change us and to recreate us. Help us, God, to keep in step with your love and to be like these women were. Lord, just honoring you, loving you, and being a good witness of what we know is true. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Closing song. The most pro- provocative thing Christ ever said was when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even if he dies, yet shall he live. To prove those words are true by raising folks from the dead, three of them that we have in the Gospels, but then his own resurrection speaks of the validity of his claim. And so I'm wondering if there's somebody here seeking the Lord. You've not yet 
identified yourself with the Holy Spirit through faith with God the Father through the Holy Spirit and you'd like to do so. You'd like to ask Christ to forgive your sins, come into you, make you alive so that when you do die, you won't die again. The Bible calls that the second death. Everyone's got one death or alive when Jesus comes. But everybody's appointed unto men once to die, once. And then the judgment, if you don't have Christ in your heart at the time of your death, that eternal life in you, you will die again forever, be separated from life. So we're going to bow our heads. We always like to give an opportunity for you to get right with God and accept the peace that he's made with you. So if you're here, nobody's looking around. We're not going to call you up here. You just want to acknowledge by an upraised hand that you want to become a Christian and know the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ in your own heart and life. Just lift up your hand and say, pray for me in your closing prayer. I'd like to give my life to Christ. If there's anybody here, you just need to raise your hand. We'll all say the sinner's prayer together. And we'll give you a Bible, sign you up to be baptized. Now, Father, we pray for the believers here that you would take these words and the truth of the resurrection and apply the lessons that we need to take, the encouragements, the corrections, to how you were speaking to us today. Help us to acknowledge that, put your truth into practice, be a blessing to you. We yield our lives and Thank you for all the blessings in this church. We love you, Lord. Let us be those who honor you and love you and share the testimony of the good news. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next Wednesday or Sunday. Until then, may the Lord keep you. Amen.